Yo, and welcome to the Time Series Podcast. Uh, before we get to today's guest, Kate Fagan, a um, couple of notes. First of all, the original Time Series Podcast will be returning, perhaps next week, with Lee Russikoff and Chris Johnson, where we discuss the Eagles Weekly. Uh, Rights to Ricky Sanchez podcast will still be Wednesdays with Mike Levin, and then I'm going to try to fit in one more per week, so there will be more coming um, uh, with different guests every week, maybe some wrestling stuff with Ange, um, depending on who I get. And then there will be the WIP shows as well. So that's coming up. Um, as well, I have been asked to host the sports panel for the Dream Chaser Summit, which is pretty unbelievable. It's August 30th at Temple. Tickets are at dreamchasersummit.com. There's going to be some incredible guests um, and panelists. Not everyone has been announced yet, but on the sports panel, uh, Dion Waiters will be there. Thaddeus Young will be there. Um, just a bunch of uh, great athletes and agents and stuff like that. So if you want to get into not just be an athlete, but the business of being an athlete, um, It'll be a, a really great experience. And then if you're into inter- entertainment, um, Rick Ross is going to be there. Meek Mill is going to be there. Master P is going to be there. The uh, the guy in charge of Live Nation's Mid-Atlantic Operations is going to be there. A um, bunch of record company people. Uh, so it's I, I have no idea how I'm involved. <laughs> I don't know how it happened. But that will be on August 30th. And again, tickets and the, the full list of guests and uh, more information at DreamChaserSummit.com. With that... Um, here is the, uh, the chat with Kate Fagan. First of all, thank you for, uh, for, uh, carving out some time when I had gotten, I think it was the fourth email that I got about the podcast that, um, whatever happened to Kate, can you get her on to talk to her and so on and so forth. I got one the other day. I was, and it's funny because the last guy that asked pretty much got immediate service. I think he emailed me on, on Wednesday or something and you're on today. So, so that is good. That is customer service. So. And uh, uh, we can talk about the Sixers too. You can just do most of the talking. Yeah. I'll just <laughs> I got to be honest with you. I'm I'm sort of sick about uh, talk. Whatever the, the Sixers topics that are current right now, I've I've sort of had enough of. So, um, so yeah. I'd rather not yeah. talk about the but, Sixers. But you have to tell me. Like I, I I tried to tune in a little bit a couple weeks ago when you wrote something saying like Sam had no obligation to talk to the media and like media had to hunt for the news. I'm, I'm assuming you know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah, yeah, I do. Um, How did that end up for you? Uh, <laughs> well, I'll tell you, uh, it's interesting because um, I'm often considered just because of like, I work for CBS, obvi- CBS, obviously, but um, most of, even though I'm on the radio every week, most people who are for lack of a better word, like fans, people who read and listen, know me from Twitter and don't really always consider me a um, like a normal media member. I guess I'm some sort of like hybrid. So um, so I'm put in a position a lot of times to judge like when they're frustrated with regular media. I guess they know I'm close to it, but uh, they don't consider me totally into it. So they'll talk to me about it. And um, I really genuinely believed that. Not like, and I was trying to be clear that not that I agreed with Hinky not not talking to anyone. I, I wasn't I wasn't sort of mm-hmm. I wasn't saying that, but that when when several media members, both writers and on air, were saying you're really angering the fans, and like that, I will I can honestly say there's no media member that talks to more Sixers fans per week than than I do. There's just not. There's nobody, right. and fans were not mad. They they just they didn't care. Um, so it went strange for me. I had a. Uh, 
Angela, I have a good relationship with the morning show here. So Angelo and Rhea had me on, and uh, and that turned out really um, strange because it became a very, very large, heated uh, debate on the air. But I think what they found was that even though they still disagree with me, most fans agreed with me. So um, right. I haven't talked to too many of the writers about it. Um, like I, I can imagine that they weren't uh, totally happy about what I had what I had written, but I still believe it. I, and I do know that they're, and what I tried to explain to people as well is like, they have bosses, you know, they can't, if, if, uh, when, when, if Liberty Ballers guys decide they want to write something silly about like the, um, you know, the current Sixers is 80s sitcom stars and put it on the website and it's a big chuckle, everybody would be fine with it, but you can't really do that in the Enquirer or the Daily News. So, um, so they're, they're under different constraints. So why, how did you feel about that whole thing? Well, I mean, I, you and I have sort of talked about this at various times, and I would, I would lean more to agreeing with what you wrote, which I did read, um, because I, I don't know, the Sixers had done, had done everything a certain way for so long, and it really wasn't working, and so I felt like if they're going to bring this new guy in here, Sam, and, and if he wants to just, like, go off the map and work on a plan to make the Sixers a good team. I did not think that most fans would be clamoring for day-to-day news if they knew that there was change coming. So, and I never thought when I was covering the Sixers, I never thought that I, I was always surprised when I got, when news was given to me, which never seemed like the way it should be anyway. Right. So, you know, like holding press, like press conferences and availability. To me, those are always like a luxury. Where you're like, okay, well, today, like, you know, I can write this big long blog about the Tony DeLeo press conference, and I don't have to make a dozen calls. So, I mean, I, I tend to agree with you, but I do know it's frustrating when, like, you can't get a hold of anybody, and it's supposed to be a working relationship, mm-hmm. and that's not what it is. Well, I did, uh, from what I, I was told, um, that Sam Hinkie was actually very available to all of the writers, um, but he was not available for a lot of on-the-record stuff. It was mostly off-the-record stuff, which, to me, like, most, you know, fans can watch the press conference on their own now. They don't have to be in front of a television, and they, like, you know, that sort of stuff is just direct, is, is direct to fan. You can go on Sixers.com and watch that stuff. To me, if you're given sort of like background and you're hearing the same rumors that we are, then I would guess, and it's more work and I know it's not, it's like, it's not always optimal, but to me, like if you're hearing about all of these guys that you've never heard before, heard of before with the coaching search, well then go find out who they are for me. Like that's, that if I'm a, if I'm a reader and I'm hearing those things, then I just I would rather you think like a basketball person and speculate and try to figure things out than you know uh, just do sort of a plug and chug um, you know quote couple of lines quote couple of lines you know so it's right. gr- it's great when you have quotes but I mean you know I don't I I just don't think they're always necessary for good content. Yeah, I used to get mad when people would be like, you need more quotes in this story. And I was like, why? They're like, they're the same quotes everybody has. Yeah. So, what, yeah, what usually what separates it apart is like whatever the writer is bringing insight into 
either the coaching hire or the player hire, and like the quotes to me were always like the least important part. So yeah, and that's why people liked you, I think, because you were. Um because you sort of went more in depth as to what was going on. They, they were more, they want to know what you thought, right? I mean, that was, that was the reason that you were, uh, that Sixers fans liked you is because you said what you thought a lot, um, which I, I can imagine when Eddie Jordan was around there and you were, um, <laughs> you were around for the worst season that I've ever experienced. Like, you know, it couldn't have been always comfortable when you would, you know, write something critical and then have to go talk to him, but that's sort of life. Yeah, sometimes I wonder if like I would have left. I mean, I love I love it. It's a great opportunity, but like covering the Sixers in particular was like a very challenging beat during those three years for somebody like me who like hadn't been in the business in a while. Had this idea that like I should always write exactly what I think and what I see, which maybe twenty years from now I would not do as much. Who knows? Let's hope that's not true, but. And those three years were like it just felt like I was always I was always trying to write what was true, and then I was always very very nervous to like go into practice or go to go to a game. Which which is which is another thing actually I t- I've actually tried to express to some bloggers is that like those when you're when you're covering that beat every day and having to see those people every day. It's it's a lot harder to be. You have to find more creative ways to be honest sometimes, um, and softer ways to be honest. Because um, just like you were saying, it's a working relationship from them to you. It's a working relationship from you to them. And part right. of that is not being, you know, is finding a way to be honest without being vicious. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it just. And there were times it felt there there were at least like half a dozen occasions where I lost sleep because I knew I was going to have to, you know, go stand in front of Eddie Jordan or Doug Collins or anybody or even a player who I said something less than flattering about. And it got to a point where it just wasn't worth it. It, Combined with like the constant churn of trying to like produce news in the NBA, it's just the lifestyle was really um, difficult. And I wonder, like, if I had been covering the, you know, a more successful team during that time, like the Spurs or something. You come in, you cover them, like, there's some stability. There's very rare times when, like, you're called upon to try and, like, write something about a player who's, like, not getting the most out of his talents or struggles with coaches. Like, you just don't have to do that stuff. You can kind of just focus on the basketball. And that... I felt like I was doing half and half. Yeah, well, yeah, I can imagine writing a story is about how great Kawhi Leonard has become and how it happened is a lot more fun than writing why Maurice Spates shoots every time he gets the ball and doesn't play any <laughs> defense. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it has to. It's right. just you know when you're surrounded by positivity, you end up just feeling better. I would imagine. So, um, yeah. okay, so so you live in New York now, yeah? Or yes, I live in Brooklyn, and. Um, where are you? How how has that like? Are, you're not from there, right? You're from um, like. Are you from like the middle of New York State? Where are you from? Yeah, I'm from um, uh, Schenectady, New York, which is outside of Albany, which is like two and a half hours upstate. And Schenectady is also the hometown of Pat Riley. Okay. So, but I mean, 
Sorry, can you hear that? <laughs> no, it's awesome. It adds ambiance. I say, okay. I say, I am actually in Brooklyn. Yeah, everybody. Yeah, I say that you're in New York, and the sirens blaring is sort exactly. of a, it's sort of apt. Yeah. Um, um, but uh, I, you, you know this. I've always, I've, I grew up like loving the Knicks. I'm a huge New York Giants fan. Um, I, I like the Mets, although Major League Baseball is kind of uh, fallen by the wayside for me. Um, and like I, I adored Philly and I loved it, but there were times when I felt like I was like just I wanted to be in New York. Is it sports is such a huge part of a city, and I felt like I was always on the outside in Philly. Um, so, so the adjustment to New York is no problem for you. I, I just know that every time I go there, I, I wonder how I could live there. Um, it just seems so. <laughs> it just seems so overwhelming, you know. Like I, yeah. I just don't know how. It, but if you love it, then it's it's sort of one or the yeah. other. I think with New York, you either love it or you hate it. So, um, yeah. My sister, my sister had lived here for about like eight to ten years after college. So I spent a lot of time in the city. Um, even when I was in Philly, like if I had a free weekend, I would come down to New York. And being in Brooklyn now is. Um, it's way chiller. Sometimes I go into Manhattan and I'll feel overwhelmed. Oh my gosh, that fire! Uh, that. <laughs> Are you okay? Okay. Yeah. No, I, I feel like they were just like at the corner. The fire was at the corner. Yeah, I was. I, I was real worried we were going to break a story that your wherever you were was burning down as I was yeah. talking to you. Yeah. Um, um. So, but Brooklyn, Brooklyn's much chiller. I know what you mean about Manhattan. Um. Well, then, so. So you go to ESPN, and obviously everything you do is, um, or, or most that we read, is sort of uh, longer form um, and more in-depth and, uh, and column-like, not opinion-like, but like features. What is that, um, what is that we, we sort of understand what the process of being a beat writer is like, but, but what, is, <laughs> what is the process of what you do like? Like, are you given assignments? Do you suggest things? How does that work? Well, the, the stories that are longer um, and some of the ones I think you're talking about, like the I did a, a cover story with Brittany Griner for the magazine, those are all ones that I pitched. Um, I try and always have a, like a stable of longer ideas because if I'm working on one of those, then I don't get assigned as much like columns and stories so it's i would say it's about like 70 percent if i can stay on top of everything and always have a pitch and always be working on something that that espn across all its platforms can buy into um then i don't get assigned things but every once in a while they're like hey can you do this quick story on you know this water skier or that's something i just said um or Whatever else we have going on at ESPN, is this better if I like walk inside to this little atrium? Can you hear me better? No, it's actually a little worse because it's a little echoier. So if you're okay oh. outside, it's better. It's I'll I'll deal with the um, the sirens. With the, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. I think it's actually cool. It feels like I'm in like homicide life on the street or something. Like we're um, like we're we're doing a, a you know a law television show while we're doing the interview. So yeah, it makes it sound way more important, right? Yeah, yeah it paints a picture. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, so like I always I always want to have the longer story that I'm working on so that I'm not getting assigned little small things as much. But I because that's what I mean that was the reason I left 
the Sixers beat in the Inquirer was for the opportunity to do stories like, you know, the Brittany Griner story that are, like, their long-form presentation that you kind of, like, you get to be, be like, a serious writer, for lack of a better phrase. That was my big thing with the Sixers beat. It was, like, it was so rare that you would get the opportunity in the middle of, like, such a grind to actually take the time to write something that was, like, making you a better writer and was, like, showing people that you could write. And I really wanted that opportunity. There, it's hard to find a uh, a corollary from ESPN to sports, like how big ESPN is to sport, sports, even with all the criticisms. It's almost like Google to search is about the, the only thing that I could think of, like whereas one – one organization is so heavily identified with one, um, you know, with one thing like that. How has it right. actually been working for something that big um, that has that many eyes on it and is, is sort of that powerful within one arena? Well, I think the one thing I've noticed is I, I think when you say you're doing something for ESPN, you there's like this automatic credibility that like they you know the subject or whoever it is about should pay attention because the platform of ESPN is so big you know, as opposed to like even not necessarily the inquirer but some of the other newspapers I work for you a lot of times you couldn't get people to call you back because they were like okay well you know you have a 30,000 circulation paper like is it really worth my time and you never have that problem at ESPN so there is that sense when you call like calling from ESPN, we want to do X, Y, Z, like there's some, you feel like you have a little bit of authority behind that. Um, but the other, like the one thing that has really been eye-opening for me is like, like you said, ESPN is so big and if you can get yourself in the right position, like, you know, you see guys like, I don't know, Wright Thompson, if you read him, like he's been able to capitalize on some like great stories he's done like the, the one on Michael Jordan turning 50 and then you know the recent one on Johnny wow Johnny Manziel right did you yes. read that one uh okay. no I didn't read I didn't read the feature on it um okay oh I know of it but I didn't read it I I've, I no. it's funny you mentioned Manziel like I, I I don't know I just couldn't I couldn't care less about Johnny Manziel and I know it's a top story and a big thing but it's just one of those things that um, that I'm only familiar with whatever I read on the headline, and that's about it. I, right. ca- I can't find right. the interest to go any deeper, even though I'm sure there's a lot there. Yeah, I have been, I've only read the first, like, 200 words of that story, but I just know that it got a huge, like, share and play, and people were talking about it. Um, but my point being, like, if you can figure out a way within ESPN to, like, find your niche and harness the power of it, it can do awesome things for you. And at the same time, like, there's so many writers, there's so many people that work there that if you want to, like, go find a corner and hide, you can, or even if you, like, don't know how to, like, make connections with any ESPN, a lot of times you can just get lost. Um, so it's like, it feels like you almost have to be an entrepreneur, like, within ESPN. That's the big thing that, like, I learned is, like, you, just because you're at ESPN doesn't mean, like, oh, they're going to, like, nobody's, like, waking up in the morning being, like, oh, like, we have Kate Fagan now. Let's let's have her write this story. Let's have her be on this, you know, 
podcast or digital show. Like, I have to constantly be, like, making calls, sending emails, pitching ideas to various areas so that, like, make people pay attention. Do you think, um, given, you know, there, are, there have been a lot of changes just with, the more, con- with more content needed, um, with people sort of uh, digesting content in smaller bits, um, but also at the same time, um, it feels like there's been a little bit of a renaissance for longer form things. And I think, um, I think so, like the classical and Grantland and, and sort of things like that have helped that. Um, has it, do you feel like the, the landscape itself, and we touched on it a little bit earlier just as a beat writer, but do you feel like the landscape itself has, has changed in a positive way for you and, and how you do your job or a negative one? Um, I feel like, I mean, it's, it really has been both because I feel like at times if I let myself, I can just get caught up in like the churn because a lot of, a lot of things at ESPN and any website, right? I mean, even anything that, I don't even know how, I don't know how it affects the radio, but I know in print and in, in ESPN's digital platform, like, a lot of times it's, it's about the number of pieces of content we can get up. Um, and each one of those is, like, going to get their amount of clicks. And you can kind of get lost in that, worrying about how many page views and not worrying so much about, like, the actual content of the thing you produce. But then at the same time, there's always those moments where everybody at ESPN, like, calls a timeout and they're like, this story is really important and then has the resources to, like, do this beautiful photo shoot behind it, put together a video, like the layout presentation is just, you know, really smooth and cool. So I, I'm not, I'm not sure if I'm totally answering your question. I think if I let myself, I could be, I could fall down the trap of like just using Twitter all the time and just like kind of churning out half done stories to like feed the machine. But I'm, I'm trying not to do that as much. Like I'm actually like actively not not on Twitter as much like the last couple months because it feels like I can I can't pull myself out of it like hours and hours will go by and I will my feed will just keep refreshing and I can't like I can't ever turn it off. Yeah, I sort of know what so. you mean. <laughs> um, I bet you do. Yeah, yeah. Well, I can tell you, um, it's funny, like doing the job that I do now and sort of um, being a, a a one-man sports department, at least uh, mostly for CBS and Philly on the web, being able to see statistics real time makes it more difficult to do the things that you think are good a lot because you can see that like, oh man, if I put this picture of Andrew Bynum dancing up on the web, like I'm going to see how many people are looking at it. And then when I go and spend, um, a, you know, a day writing a 1200 word thing on, you know, whether it's important for the Sixers to do this or that or the other, and, you know, mm-hmm. 400 people click on it total, you sort of, it can be disheartening. I, I know what you mean about getting right. caught up in, in that machine. And um, it's almost more important to not to sort of follow your your heart in that general respect because what you're going to do is end up finding that when you do write that one long thing that does connect, it will connect better and make more of an imprint than any of those little small meaningless things that were important for, for five minutes made. Yeah, and that, like, that's kind of what I have to hold on to. Like, um, like I, My first year at ESPN, I did a couple pieces that like, I put 
weeks and weeks into, and, you know, it was like 3,000 words, and I loved it. And, you know, they, whatever, they get, they occasionally will give me the page G numbers. I'm like, okay, that's solid. And then I remember, like, one Friday, it was, like, 6 o'clock, you know, kind of the time when you were like, okay, I'm not working anymore. And then my editor called and was like, Pat Summit just got a hole-in-one. Can you just, like, turn around 300 words, like, real quick in the next five minutes and we'll get it up? And, like, did that, like, really, like, you know, when they say, like, banged it out, I was like, you know, I had it up within 10 minutes, and, like, they were like, oh, you know, that got, you know, half a million page views. And I was like, oh. (laughs) I was like, the the thing that I just, it wasn't my idea. It wasn't an idea. I I put six minutes of work into it, and that got seen more widely than, like, a combination of, like, eight features that I, like, slaved over. But, you know, this past year when I've been able to do some work for the magazine and... Um, and some other longer pieces, like they, I feel like they have resonated more. Like kind of once you build up that audience and you get people around you to trust that, like when they give you an idea or when you have an idea, you're going to execute it. So I know both sides of that. Yeah, well, and for your name in particular, if you're just talking about your career, when you bang it, because I had a, I have to do that occasionally too. They'll be like, hey, Mar-, like I'll put my head on, I'll literally put my head on my desk. Hey, Marcus Vick just said something about Riley Cooper. Can you write something up on that? And I'm like, oh, Marcus Vick, <laughs> he's not even a football player, and we know, know he's stupid. And then they're like, oh, it's linked on Drudge. It'll get 250,000 views. I'm like, oh, my God. But but the people, I guess the, the thing that always helps me is that the people that read those things don't care who wrote it. So, right. so you know, you, you're not gaining anything personally with your career out of that. It helps a company, but it doesn't really right. ever help you. Right, right. Um, well, and I would guess for you, for a writer, does it, um, is it, you know, for all of the heat that ESPN takes with beating, you know, certain stories to death, they go and they have uh, invested, obviously, a lot of time and money into Grantland. And then they hired Nate Silver. And then they, who obviously is going to put something together, which is, a, obvi- it has to be for smart people, because he, I don't think he could put, you know, together anything that isn't for smart people. And then hiring Olbermann back. Um, they do. A, it feels like they do take a lot of chances in that respect, um, and and do feed both sides of that machine. Yeah, they do, and um, it's just, it's really awesome to work for a place that can do something like the Nine for Nine film series. And I don't know how widely viewed they've been, you know, but I know that there there are very few sports entity companies, places in this country who would care enough and even have the resources to, like, put out nine documentary films on, like, women's sports. And I like men's sports and I like women's sports, but I I do in particular like the commitment that ESPN has made to, like, airing women's college basketball and the WNBA because a a lot of that times to me, like, the women's sports don't matter is, like, it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy like we don't put them on tv so they don't matter like you know we don't talk about them we don't write about them so they don't matter when if you start talking about them a little bit more sometimes you know you can somebody will see the value in them so it's like it's the nate silver stuff and um even the 30 for 30 film series film series like there's just so few companies that have the capital and um the desire to like to do really in-depth 
quality storytelling. And now, of course, we know that they also then, you know, they have, like, their Kim Tebow thing that everybody talks about and, like, certain storylines that people wish they would drop. But it's kind of like what you said about Marcus Vick. Like, he's not even a football player, and why should we care? And yet I'm sure that that, that got tons of hits. And in the same way, it's like it, – I'm assuming every time we put up something on Tim Tebow, it gets a lot of hits. So it's yeah. like, what? Who's to blame here? Yeah, I, I tell people all the time: we, if if you would stop clicking on it, I will stop writing it. Like literally, right. like I, yeah. I, there is there is with the more than television, there is there is an I can instantly tell when I put a link out. I can instantly tell how many people are clicking on it instant like as it happens so if if i yeah. put something out that you're not reading i'm not going to do it anymore and espn it's the same way it's a, it's sort of a um a self-fulfilling prophecy in that way it's it's a, yeah. a cycle that's hard to get out of i think um yeah so what have you do well first do you miss I, i'm assuming because you played um and because of the the non um on on podcast or online talks we've had that um, you know that basketball is your is your favorite sport. Do you miss covering it, or like constantly, or is it? Do you like it more because you don't have to cover it, and it's more recreation for you? I'm no, I'm, I miss covering it more. I mean, I wish I covered it more. I think, um, I you know the ideal would be to not be covering it the way I was covering it with the Sixers, which did get to a point where I didn't. I didn't really want to watch or talk about basketball except when I had to. I'm, so, I'm um, sorry for emailing you questions and asking you to do podcasts <laughs> about it then. <laughs> no. It, now, I'm, now I'm to the point where I, I really I wish there was a way, and I, I'm sure there is, for like even me within ESPN to find a way to do more like NBA coverage or basketball coverage. It's just hard because like you you know this within – covering the Sixers, paying attention to the NBA. Like, I can't just, like, parachute in for, like, a game or two it's like, it, and get the same level of, like, understanding or knowledge about the league or a specific team. So it's, like, it's for me, it would be really hard to be like, hey, NBA page at ESPN, can I cover 10 games for you this year? Because I don't think I would be able to, like, write about somebody's jump shot or, like, the offense or the struggles of the defense if I just watch them so sparingly. So, or, or maybe I could write something decent, but it wouldn't be like to the quality and I wouldn't have the knowledge I wanted. So I kind of feel like I have to either jump back in and be like, can I cover the NBA again or kind of step out of it? And that's kind of what I realized after a year being away from the Sixers. I kind of tried to, be kind of involved, but then I realized I didn't always know what I was talking about, and that yeah. didn't kill it either. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, you start to, when you're not covering it every day, you start to realize how hard it is for regular, and I we w- work in sports, but like how regular everyday people, you know, why it's hard for them to know everything about everything all the time and how much is how much of their free time they must spend when they do um because when you're not entrenched in it like that it's difficult to to know enough to feel like you're speaking intelligently about it yeah and i love that about the sixers like while i was there i would take like any any radio that like was like hey can we get five minutes on the sixers i like i didn't sweat it i was like if it's 
there was a question about the Sixers, anything, I'm going to know the answer because I'd spent, by that point, you know, a 1,000 hours around the team. And even now, if ESPN asked me to, like, come in and do, like, a digital video on three different topics and they could be across sports, I kind of get panicky because, like, there is no level of expertise about any one thing now. Now, once I find out what the topic is, like, you know, if it's, like, the MLB All-Star game and, like, Major League Baseball's aging problem with its fans, like, I need to do, like, hours of work to think that I'm going to be able to speak eloquently on that topic. So, like, somebody like Jamel Hill, who I'm amazed. I mean, there must be so much work going on in the background because you can throw any topic at her, and she acts like she's, like, the wiki page for it. Yeah. And that's tough. Uh, I get nervous every time I do t- like every time I'm asked to be on some kind of TV show or uh, radio show that wants like a Philly perspective on something. I'm like, I always say, "What are you going to talk to me about?" I, like, I need to know what you're going to talk to me about first because it is possible, yeah. even with just four teams in Philadelphia, to know everything all the time. You know, I don't. Um, and if you know, if somebody happens to catch me with, you know, who do you think the four cornerbacks are going to carry are, and I haven't looked at it first. Um, yeah, you know, you can end up looking dumber than you actually are, which is a, at least for me is a, <laughs> is a job. Um, what, 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 what that you've done since you've gone to ESPN, what's been your favorite thing? Like the thing that you're most proud of? Um, definitely the, the ESPN cover, um, with, with Brittany Griner. Cause I think it's kind of a coup to be able to get, Oh, female on the cover of a magazine when it wasn't like the swimsuit issue or like the body issue. It just, it really, really doesn't happen. Um, especially the ESPN, the magazine, if you look back over, it's been 15 years, like it's, it's at various points they've been able to get women on the cover, but it's, it's rare. And so that whole cover kind of came about because I had to like orchestrate it. You know, like, I had to get everybody on the same page, and there was, like, a dozen times I thought it was going to fall through. Um, so when, like, they finally made the decision to put her on the cover, they actually split the cover with Griner and Mike Tyson, but at least she was on the cover. Um, it felt like it felt like a very big victory. And, like, the online presentation I thought was cool, and the story itself, like, I just got, it was always it's the kind of story like I would always have wanted to do at the Inquirer where you actually just like nobody talks to you for a month and you just hang out with the one person and you feel like you can actually write this story like as if you are that person. Like that's how well you think you know them at that point. You know, it just for sure that was the one where I was like, okay, I think, you know, when the story actually came out, there was only a few things I was upset about as opposed to thinking the whole thing was a disaster and it wasn't what I wanted it to be, you know, like writers tend to do. So, Yeah, well, and she, there's so many different um, colors and levels to her and her story and, you know, who she is and the perception of her, um, even just who she is and the perception of her without even her talking, without even talking about her as a basketball player. There's just a lot to it. Yeah, there's so much there that people get you know, fired up, for, yeah, fired up about, like, you know, they call her a man, they say her voice is too deep, you know, they question so much about who she is, and I think um, her willingness to, like, actually talk about those things 
is what made the story interesting. Um, and it's actually really rare when you'll find, like, a female star or something about women's sports that catches, you know, the interest of the mainstream. And this, I felt like this was one of those things, like, in those months after the, bas- like the college basketball season, like when Mark Cuban was talking about drafting her, it's just like if it like incites something in people when you talk about like can a can a woman play with men? And in addition, like and then there's the whole layer with Brittany Griner where everybody wants to say, well, like, well, she's not a woman, she's a man anyway. Yeah. And then everybody gets everybody gets very passionate about the issues, which is what's going to make them want to, like, read a story about it. And if nobody cares, or if there's, like, a lot of times with women's sports, they'll be like, there'll be no villain, you know? Everybody's, like, a role model, and everything's fine, and there's no controversy. And with Griner, there's, like, there's a lot of controversy, and that's always more interesting. Do you read the comments? Um, you know, I, I do a lot of times. I just started following a couple months ago the Twitter handle at avoid the comments and then once a day they send out a tweet reminding me like (laughs) to not read the comments so there will have been certain stories with her especially that i i actually just don't read the comments but if it's my own story i could tell you i didn't read the comments but like i think i do (laughs) (laughs) and but uh, thankfully we have the facebook plug-in um and I think all of ESPN does now. So we've weeded out some of, like, the really aggressive trolling because you have to have your Facebook attached to your comment. So. Um, it's funny. When I um, I got engaged in April, and, uh, and for some reason, um, I think, you know, like sports people, uh, local gossip people just need content. So, um, you know, the Molly who, who does, um, you know, that for Philly.com saw that I got engaged and she's like, Hey, can I put something in the, um, on Philly.com about it? I'm like, yeah, you know, uh, Val, my fiance will, will love that because, you know, because there's always attention on me, but there's not really all that stuff on her all the time. So it would be both of us. Hey, look, he's engaged, blah, blah, blah. So, um, but somehow it ended up on the front page with a picture of us. Um, and she got very excited, and I, I called her, and I was like, I'm glad that you're excited, but do me a favor and do not read the comments on it. And she's like, why? Right. She's like, why? And I'm like, well, because I, you just you don't understand how the comments go. I, I try not to read the comments on my own stuff. And she's like, well, why would anyone say anything negative about two people getting engaged? I'm like, Val, I'm yeah, telling yeah. you, please. So I find out that night, she was like, she was like well... We we saw the comments and some of them were really mean. I go toward me, right? She's like, yeah. So we signed up with other usernames and we were we were fighting with the people <laughs> in the comment section. <laughs> and I'm like, see, nice. I told you not to do that. You can't. Yeah. She's like, I just don't understand people. It's like that's a whole other discussion. <laughs> right. The notion of comments, but um, right. it's it's, uh, it's sad. Um, to, to uh, a couple more questions before we wrap up. One is a, a funny one that um, that somebody mentioned to me, and I laughed when he mentioned it to me because I agreed with you at the time. And in retrospect, I'd like to take back agreeing with you, and I'd like to know what you think in retrospect. There was a okay. real um, heavy rumor at one point that the Sixers were going to trade Andre Iguodala for uh, Monte Ellis, and mm-hmm. I was. You wrote sort of in favor of that, and I was totally in favor of that. And looking back on that, I think, 
ah, you know what? Even though nothing ever happened with Andrea, like, like I think that was probably good that they did not make that trade. Um, looking right. back on it, do you feel any differently on it? Um, I probably have two viewpoints on it. From at that, I think at that point, I was kind of of the mindset like there was so much going on behind the scenes, so it wasn't just yeah. the comparison of Andre Iguodala as a basketball player versus Monta Ellis as a basketball player. It was like Andre Iguodala as a Philadelphia 76 or any longer. Right. Versus Monta Ellis. I, and I feel like he had kind of reached this place where he just couldn't, he just didn't have the same like spirit about playing for Philly and like, it, and, and not the city itself necessarily, but also like the crowds have been really bad. Like, they clearly weren't going anywhere. I think he had just, like, come off winning, like, the world championships or the gold medal. And I felt like at that point, basically, getting him for anyone who could, like, put the ball in the basket was a good thing. But I – now that I – but I think Andre's such a good basketball player that I don't think it really actually would have been a good basketball trade. Right. If I can have both of those things, I think I, I think I jumped the gun a little bit and being like, yeah, it's going to be good. Let's get a score in here and not giving enough credit to all of the other things Dre brings to the game and how a lot of players across the NBA aren't necessarily happy with their situations or something's going on with the team and they play through it and like they are still that same player. So you can't, you can't weigh the behind the scenes quite as heavily. Um, so I, I kind of do agree with whoever that guy was that <laughs> I probably didn't read that situation. Like I probably wouldn't write the same thing again. Yeah. Although it, in retrospect, they got nothing for him. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. That said, Monte Ellis would have been better than what they ended up getting. But, but right. I guess a devil's advocate would be at least they got, they got a disaster and a direction from it. So, um, yeah. I think people here appreciate, I think it was good for everybody. He, people here appreciate him in a different way. I think even if they don't, like him um you know the that whatever attitude it was he had that they didn't like is at least gone and i'll tell you another thing and this is not just basketball but being in sports media and start sort of like i've always made it my i never want to break stories that never wants to be anything but the information that i get and the information that i hear i like to hear for background and like when you start Mm -hmm. hearing background things it really changes it's really tough to see the game for what it is when you know a lot of things that are going on behind the scenes, especially when you don't talk about them, you know? Um, it, it changes yeah. how you watch the game. That was really often what was hardest, is, like, knowing, like, this was going on with this coach and, you know, this player and this player had almost been traded or whatever the case may be. And then, like, having to answer a question about, like, why I don't think... Lou Williams, whatever, you know, I can't yeah. even think of the example. And knowing all of the background, but not being able to actually explain that that's why you feel the way you feel, or even just watching the games, it, it got, I actually found that, like, it was, when you knew all of the background and the storylines, the games were, like, so, even so much more exciting, because it was like, you, when someone, someone passed to someone, and then, or and then the next time down they didn't. There was all these storylines behind like every single movement on the court, which I always found fascinating. 
Yeah, I'll tell you, uh, for Iguodala himself, knowing what I knew and then seeing him hit the the free throw to beat the Bulls in that series and hit big shots against the Celtics and sort of redeem himself before he went out of town was uh, like gave me at least personally a different feeling about it. Like, you know, you start feeling good for a person rather than um, just yeah. the team winning. Um, you, yeah. You know, the stakes are even higher in some ways than being a fan. Um, and Dre, Dre himself, I mean, you know this because I think you – You've had some interactions with him. Like, he's one of he's a very very good guy, and I wouldn't necessarily say that about like every single fixer who came through while I was covering. But Dre, like I I would I'll still I'll still like if I really needed something from Andre, like I would call him or like try and get a hold of him because he's just such a good guy. Um, and final question, um, because people ask me this all the time, and I thought maybe you'd be a good person to. Um, uh, maybe vocalize it differently than I do is when people ask me that, like when they find out I love John Starks and <laughs> they ask me why, like, what is, why do you love John Starks? And like, you know, I had the routine of what I go through and what I say, but I'm curious because I'm sure you've been asked the question, what is it yeah. about John? Like, why do you love John Starks? I, I actually have like the routine too. What I love about him is that he's he was always the underdog, and I it was in a time when Jordan was at his height, and it felt so boring to me to to be a Jordan fan and to root for Jordan because there was there's really very little tension in that. And with Starks, I in a bad way you never knew what you were going to get <laughs> yeah. from night to night. But in a good way, you always knew you were going to get effort. And also, I that was like that's my sort of philosophical answer. And in, but personally, like I, when I first started watching him, I was like, I think I was like nine or ten years old. I was good at shooting from the outside, like he was every once in a while, <laughs> every other night. Yeah, <laughs> I was a Knicks fan. He was like. He was the guy you gravitated to. Like, what, am I going to be a Derek Harper fan or, like, a Patrick Ewing fan? Those weren't just, like, Starks appeared, like, this kind of, like, cuddly, teddy berry, like, streaky shooter. He was just, like, the perfect fit for me as, like, growing up, like, learning to play basketball. People who were Knicks fans back then, like, like the if you were a Knicks fan then and you blamed, like, to me... People who are Knicks fans don't blame John Starks for that game, that one game. They blame Patrick Ewing for every other game that yeah. he didn't do what he was supposed to do. And to me, like, yeah. that, that was the true test of liking those teams and understanding <laughs> that, like, shooting two for 20, whatever it was, like, that. Yeah. The, the, the problem was that he was the only guy on the team that had the guts to take any of those big shots. So, and he just wasn't good enough to do it. You can't really blame a guy for yeah. being, you know, as good or as bad as he is. You know, that's just. Yeah, so, I would always be like, don't talk to me about that game. What about Charles Smith missing those five layups? Yeah. Patrick Ewing with his finger roll. Yeah. The, the Charles Smith, just dunk the ball. Just dunk just the ball. The yeah. <laughs> um, 
Well, good. Well, people will enjoy this. Uh, I, I appreciate the time. And I, I will, um, I, I think I mentioned it at the outset, but like you were, when I was, when I was with YSP and just doing sort of a podcast, this, I guess this podcast is for fun as well, but, um, but I wasn't even like a sports person and I was doing a sports podcast and mm-hmm. you would, you would answer my Sixers emails and came on the podcast and did it also when I was unemployed as well. So, um, so thank you for All that. Right. Uh, see, and you're you're reaping the benefits now. I don't know what those yes. benefits are. More people will hear it. I guess that's now a you have this massive platform. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, uh, congratulations again on your success, and do know that people do like I you you're like a uh, like Kate Fagan covering the Sixers is like urban legend. Is like like you're you're <laughs> like you got out at the right time. You're like you're like this this. This great myth and this remembrance that with every year that passes, you become a better writer in their eyes. Yes. <laughs> so, Good. Um, and, every, and I encourage anyone to check out anything you write. And what I found about the things that you write is that you write in a way um, that even if I didn't care about this subject uh, at first – um, you're a good writer, so you make you make those subjects interesting. So uh, you do a good job with it, and uh, we're all proud of you. Thanks, Spike. Uh, and thank you. I'll, I can come back on the podcast sometime. Yeah, whenever you would. Maybe you know what? At some point, we, you should find a week to invest yourself in the NBA, just to watch stuff and write things yeah. down. And and we can we can talk all NBA. But if you have anything else okay. you'd like to talk about, of course. But if you if you ever need that NBA fix. Um, We're here for you, too. All right. Good stuff. All right. Thanks, Kate. I I will mention uh, you can follow Kate uh, on Twitter, even though she said she's not active right now, uh, at KateFagan3, and that three is for uh, for John Starks. Um, uh, A final reminder, if you subscribe to this on iTunes, I don't even know why I ask people to do it. I just think it ends up helping the podcast and rankings. And you like the podcast, please rate it on iTunes and rate it with five stars. Uh, Talk to you next time. (laughs) 